0: I'm Trey Phillips, and welcome to the Prodigal Stories podcast, a show where Billy Halliwell and I take you through some of the most powerful stories of the day, stories of hope, transformation, and intrigue. On today's episode, we welcome Vanessa Morris, a prostitute's daughter turned preacher's kid, to talk about her life story, her journey to salvation, and her work to raise awareness about sex trafficking in the modern era. Without further ado, here's our conversation with Vanessa Morris. Vanessa Morris, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. So uh, for people who might not have read the column that uh, we ran at faithwire.com a couple weeks ago, you have quite a remarkable story uh, from going, as you describe it, from a prostitute's daughter to a preacher's kid. Can you, I know there's a lot there, but can you tell us a little bit, maybe summarize what you wrote? Uh, Just tell us a little bit about your story.
1: Yeah, there is a lot there. It's been quite a journey, but God's been so good. The piece summarizes uh, basically my my testimony, but it's so much more than just my my personal walk. It has uh, really funneled into areas that are using that part of my story to help so many others, which I'm so grateful for. So uh, growing up, I always just identified as the daughter of a prostitute. I never Mm. realized that that label that was, that was, you know, really given to my mom, it, she wasn't so much more. She wasn't just an addict, just a prostitute. You know, we, we are so careless sometimes in society with the labels that we place on people without ever really digging deeper into what got them to that place. And uh, she was actually a survivor of sex trafficking, but I didn't know what that was. I mean, nobody was mm-hmm. talking about that. Even up to recently, I you know, feel like people are still learning about what that really is and, and understanding that topic. So growing up, I just thought my mom was in, you know, one abusive relationship after another. I thought that she... Um, you know, really didn't care about me. She just was grooming me to follow in her footsteps. But really, she just didn't have the toolkit because so many people were writing her off as just those things. And and I was, I was being groomed to follow in her footsteps because she didn't know another way. Really, there there weren't resources out there for her at that time. And you know, there are so many kids who are. In and out of the system, we know we have a very flawed system, right? And I was um, I was blessed enough to have family who intervened time and time again and would try to take me out of those unsafe situations, try to get my mom help. But you know, again and again, I kept getting put back into her care without her being able to receive help to get out of that life. And you know, it it went on like that for basically my entire childhood until i was about 14 years old where my my new parental figures were pastors and introducing me to jesus in a whole new way so that's sort yeah. of uh sort of how my how my childhood started but what it brought me to today and for the past decade is to be able to work in the anti-sex trafficking field. So being able to use my story to help others. So now I'm with the Foundation United and we are on a global scale fighting to eradicate sex trafficking so that no child, no mother has to go through that ever again.
0: Hmm. You know, I wanna ask you, you talked about going back and forth um uh, mm. in in your childhood going back into uh just the darkness that your mother w- was enduring uh, and right. then being pulled out and then you know it, it the process repeating itself i, I want to ask what was the the journey like for you to becoming a christian like how did you end up becoming a believer uh yeah. through all of that
1: that's a great question um well when i um was about 14 or 15, I had an opportunity to go to a youth camp, a church camp. And my parents weren't taking me to church or anything like that. I think they just saw it as an opportunity really probably to get get rid of me for a week. And so I I went and I remember laying in a bunk in, you know, in one of those church camp dorm rooms. It's like, probably super uncomfortable. Right. So I'm, I'm laying there, but I just remember each night seeing all the other kids who had grown up and they knew how to do it. Right. Like they knew how to worship, they knew how to talk, they knew how to dress, they knew how to be the part. And I had no reference for that. And I remember laying in a bunk and being like, God, I'm not mad at you. I'm not anything really. I'm just, I'm shut down. Like I have, I have nothing I'm like this, this shell. So if you can make me want to want you, if you can just show up, then I want to serve you. Make me want mm-hmm. to want that. And I never turned back after that.
0: Wow. You know, yeah. and you you wrote in, in the column that later on, and now your mom is, has passed away, um, mm-hmm. but you wrote later on that your mother did escape that dark world through Mm -hmm. what you called a series of miraculous events. Could you tell us a little bit about what you mean by, by that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So what we're able to do with the foundation United now is intervene thanks to our partners in the lives of thousands of women and children around the world. Those services didn't exist back then. But because of a praying family, a family who unceasingly would seek the Lord and and try to rescue and meet her where she was at, she was able to escape and come into um, a safe place where my family could take care of her. And, And in those last years of her life, you know, I really think it's the grace of the Lord that took her home because she was so hard. She was really just a shell. Like we see survivors so many times. I mean, they've been sold 15 to 40 times every 24 hours, right, for years and years and years. And she was sexually abused as a child. So that was at the root of her story. So really her entire life had been surrounded by abuse. And so she was able to finally get to a phone, get to um, a place where she could connect with our family, and they brought her into a safe place and eventually her heart just started to soften, right? That's what the love of God does to us. And she really, really encountered God in a very um, real and tangible way at the end of her life and, and surrendered her heart to the Lord. And so, you know, I think being in that life and not having the trauma services and the therapeutic services and all the resources that we're offering survivors now, which I wish so much she would have had, Um, I think she was as free as, as she could have been on this earth at that time. But now, Mm. now she's with Jesus. Now she's, now she's more free than, than we are here. So for that, I'm incredibly grateful.
0: And, you know, your, your story is, is in a way miraculous, right? That, that you had family yeah. members, uh, and aunt and uncle who were willing and wanting um, to take you in. You had, uh, you know, an encounter with the Lord uh, who changed your heart uh, against yeah. all odds because you endured a lot of trauma too, uh, of course, yeah. having been in that situation. So what can you say now on the other side, you work to give people these tools what would you, what word of wisdom would you give to people who are in similar situations or who are just stuck in a really, in the really dark world of the sex industry or sex trafficking?
1: Yeah, I would say, don't lose hope. Hmm. Don't lose hope. You know, as, as much as I was in survival mode, you know, I mean, I was being locked out of hotel rooms while my mom was being used by men on the other side. I was, you know, seeing that life from a very up close and personal lens, the seeds that were planted in me as a kid by my family who had faith, even when I felt so lost and so unseen and so forgotten, there was still, there was that seed of hope that had been planted in me that, okay, maybe God really is who he says he is. Maybe he is going to show up and show out, you know, maybe, maybe that, that faith, it just, it wouldn't die out completely. It was like embers. Right. And that later they got breathed on and, and revived, which has, you know, was the best part in the whole world. But I would say don't lose hope because now more than ever, there are people out there looking for you and there are resources that literally didn't exist before. And that paired with the plan of God and, and how he has been able to usher us into um, every state and countries around the world, there is a way out and there is hope. Don't lose it.
0: Yeah. And you know, over the last several years, sex trafficking, the horrors of sex trafficking has finally become something that people are more open to talking about. But as you mentioned, there still is a ways to go in how we handle it. Uh, And I want to, my last question for you is just as believers, uh, Mm. I think it's, it's easy to, um, you know, it's it's just your knee-jerk reaction to judge a situation that you're not familiar yeah. with or something that doesn't make sense to you. Uh, how can we as believers maybe push back against that inclination? And what can we do mm-hmm. uh, to show that our arms are open to people who have really been hurt by this traumatic experience oftentimes uh, through no fault of their own? Like you mentioned about your mother having been yeah. sex trafficked and that's how right. she ended up in prostitution. So how can we be more compassionate?
1: I think the number one thing is always look to Jesus, you know, like it's sort of become this cliche, you know, we can have the bracelets, what would Jesus do and all of that, yeah. but it's the truth. Jesus inserted himself in difficult situations with difficult people. And he was never afraid to go there. And we have to be willing to emulate that in our own life. Mm. And I always love, you know, pairing the word with the practical. Right Like we should get on our knees and we should pray, but then we should get up and walk. And on our website, the foundationunited.org, there is a page that says get involved and it has practical real world ways that people can get involved through um, through supporting the work that we're doing. You know, in our own backyard and all over the world, whether it's connecting us with your schools so that we can prevent kids from falling into this trap later on, supporting the aftercare and the safe homes, um, the law enforcement training, you know, the criminal justice reform, the healthcare reform and training, all of those are pieces to the puzzle so that we can eradicate this for good. And those are ways that people can get involved.
0: Well, Vanessa, I mean, your story is incredible. The work that you're doing now is is so needed. Uh, so, thank you so much for taking a few minutes to talk with us. I appreciate your time.
1: Thank you. Super grateful. Thanks.
0: So that was Vanessa Morris. She's an anti sex trafficking expert, the communications director for the Foundation United. And I'm joined now by Billy Halliwell to share a few of our takeaways from her story. Uh, Billy, what did you think of, of Vanessa's testimony?
2: I mean, it's like, these are the kinds of stories that make me, you know, you talk about evidence for faith, right? What is the evidence for faith? And, and obviously, you know, that's a complicated response, but I see it in stories like this. This is where you're like, wow, this is a person who has gone through things and has come out on the other side. And so that for me, it's just, it's that powerful sort of, you know, it's in the range of the overcomer type stories, right? Mm-hmm. Where you just walk away deeply inspired.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I just think about the the layers that she had to go through uh, in order to encounter God. Um, that she, because everybody, I think, naturally, uh, our human inclination is to be opposed to God. But then when you add all of these other layers, like having to deal with a mother who is a prostitute and being born into that and certainly being, uh, like she said, she was just being groomed to go down that path herself uh, and to to ping pong back and forth between an aunt and uncle who are believers and her mom, who at the time was not a believer and was in prostitution and, and had all of her own trauma. It just, to me, it's just... Um unfathomable to think about all of these things she went through and still had an encounter with god
2: yeah, and that's that's the thing too to me and and it makes me i mean to get hyper theological when you hear these kinds of stories and you look at somebody like that who comes out of the other side, a believer and you have that aunt and that uncle, you have that influence the god it's like God has put somebody there. Who is going to give you some of that influence, right? While you're in the midst of that struggle, while you're facing the issue with your mom, it's it, you know it makes me wonder: Does God know that those people's hearts? And I know that I'm getting into like, dangerous theological <laughs> ground here and debate about predestination <laughs> and whatnot. But does God know that your heart is going to be open to Him, hmm. so He you know knows that and He gives you those tools and those resources that you need? in the midst of those complicated situations so that you are able to have those seeds be planted. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, completely. And I also think, you know, you mentioned resources and God, You know, finding a way to connect with her through the Holy Spirit. But also, the other thing is the fact that Vanessa, once she became a believer, was able then to start sharing that faith with her mother. Uh, And she said that it was actually miraculous uh, that her mom ended up coming to Christ, and said that's why she's so passionate about uh, creating resources um, for people now uh, that she wishes her mom had then. I mean, what do you think about that, about us as believers making sure that we're equipped? to handle even these these darkest and most difficult of situations
2: yeah i think i think that that's an essential thing because a lot of us we have our head in the sand we don't we only want to think about the happy things even within mm-hmm. our theology we don't want to think about the difficult things or evil or but the reality is a lot of people are brought up in evil situations where there's really difficult things like this happening, and if we're not prepared and aware and at least educated on these things, what are we going to say to people when they come into our churches or into our lives and they're dealing with these real-life things, right? I mean, there's actually, I think, a danger in not talking about them and not being prepared to have those resources available to people. So yeah, yeah, 100%. I think we have to Even if we don't want to be embroiled in those ministries, maybe we're not called to them. Obviously, but being aware of all of the things, the scope of things that people face, to me, and it's convicting to me because I'm not aware of all those things always. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we get to cover a lot of things you and I that maybe we, if we weren't covering them, we wouldn't be aware of. But I think all of us as Christians do have that responsibility. We talk a lot about the orphan and the widow, um, and there's a lot, but there's a lot going on in between those lines as well, right? That we need to be aware of.
0: And I think something that was... Um that stuck out to me. That was like, wow, I, maybe I need to get my heart in check. Is it's easy to look at somebody who is a prostitute, or even to look at somebody who was in pornography? I'm thinking of, of you know Josh Broom or of uh, Brittany De La Mora, two former porn stars who are now believers and are you know evangelizing. Two people who are still in the porn industry, um, but it's easy, I think, to look at them and think, wow, I can't believe that they chose that lifestyle and that you know they were okay to live that way. Uh, and the reality is, is that more often than not, like Vanessa said, her mom was trafficked. And that was, that was her entire world. That was the only thing that she knew. So it was the natural choice, the natural evolution of her life, that she was going to be a prostitute because she was a victim as a kid. Uh, she grew up in that world. Uh, and and this, that was the, the product of it was, was her becoming a prostitute. So I think it's easy uh, when you're on the outside. And You're you're naturally not familiar um, to assume the worst of people, but as believers, we know that Jesus, like Vanessa said, spent time with the the lowest of the low, uh, and he wasn't one who was, uh, you know, he wasn't a respecter of persons. He'll share the gospel with anybody and everybody, and he'll love on anybody and everybody. And I thought, wow, that's a convicting thing as believers. We don't need to live like them, obviously, but we certainly need to be a witness to them.
2: Yeah, no, 100%. And I think you brought up an interesting point because it's easy to to judge people too, right? And And to yeah. be like, as you were saying, to kind of be like, how in the world could you have ever ended up like that? You know and when you sit down and you talk to people you learn about their brokenness and where they came from and I do think because we live in such this this bizarro culture there's this line that we have to toe because it's really easy to make excuses for why people are where they are and then to start excusing the behavior right well there's nothing wrong with prostitution and we should legalize you know you have all these weird arguments coming it's yeah. like no this is bad for society it's not good for people um, but but my point is on the other side having that awareness and feeling that compassion because it's also easy to just dismiss people and not recognize that if it's all you know as it was in the case of her mom then of course you're going to end up in that position and mm-hmm. there are a lot of people it's sick it's you know this ongoing cycle of generational issues that unfold because of that so we don't want to excuse it all um and at the same time we don't i think want to just malign people and not realize that there are real reasons they end up in these positions
0: yeah absolutely and my final thought on this just to to piggyback off what you were just saying is the fact that, um, you know, as believers, we can look at, at, a, at a behavior like uh, being in pornography or consuming pornography, or, uh, you know, being in prostitution or, you know, finding yourself in the midst of sex trafficking in, in some way. Um, and we can know that it's wrong. Uh, and we can give you all the statistics for why it's wrong and for why you should live better. Uh, but Vanessa's story, I think highlights how important it is uh, that it's more than just looking at a behavior and saying, well, statistically, this is not beneficial to human flourishing. Uh, we need to to look at it and say it's morally wrong because it goes against God's design for humanity. It goes against God's design for sexuality and for relationship with one another. So I think if you don't have that foundation, then eventually all of these things, like even though they're true, that these behaviors are not healthy, uh, if you don't have that foundation in scripture and who God created you to be as a fearfully and wonderfully made human being in his image, if you don't have that understanding, then I think the other stuff is eventually, you know, going to fall away.
2: No, a hundred percent. and that's that's so true, right. It's like we want to throw stats and I think this is why, oh gosh, I'm gonna get us in trouble going into politics. Here, but I think this is why in you know, a lot of conservatives struggle to get their viewpoints across, right? Because mm-hmm. Democrats are very motivated by emotion. conservatives and I'm stereotyping here are very motivated by, you know Republicans fact. This is a fact. you know, look at all these statistics. and of course, both sides go into the other issues, but that's again, the stereotype. And I think when that happens, you can give people all the stats in the world, but if you don't make it make sense for why they should care emotionally and why it should connect with that reality, then you don't really make your point. And I think you know, vice versa, on the other side, if you've got an emotional situation, well, great, you've made me feel emotion, but where's the logic to it? So we have to, Mm -hmm. I think, as believers, find that balance in these kinds of situations in order for in order for them to really make an impact when we go to people and try to say look this is why you need to act this way not because we're telling you this is why but let us show you right
0: yeah for sure well obviously we could talk about this forever and ever and ever because it's such an important topic and it was a a great conversation Uh, so thank you everyone for joining us for this episode of the prodigal stories podcast join us again next thursday for the next episode